Asshole Cord is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. Back in the late 70s and early 80s, things were different. Rock and roll was still the most popular music amongst the kids. Guitar solos were the epitome of musical coolness. Long hair was the norm, upstairs and downstairs. And as we've discussed plenty of times before on this show, dudes in their 20s and sometimes older were A-OK with bagging 14-year-old girls. This includes some of your favorite classic rock stars, unfortunately. So with that in mind, the subject of today's show might seem like a normal dude from that time period. He loved jamming on the guitar. He had long hair. He wanted to be a rock star. And yes, unfortunately, he really liked underage girls. But instead of transitioning from wannabe rocker to 80s boomer in a power suit, he instead decided that being a religious cult leader was the profession he was best suited for. When you think of religious cult leaders, you likely have a couple of names that immediately come to mind. Jim Jones in Jonestown. We covered him a couple years ago. And then, David Koresh in Waco. Well, we're covering him today. Was Koresh just a peaceful Jesus freak who wanted to live a simple life and rock the fuck out for the Lord on occasion? Or was he a manipulative narcissist with a dangerous love of firearms, a lust for underage girls, and an apocalyptic outlook? Tune up your guitar, put on those now stylish pedo glasses, and open up that Bible while we delve deep into the strange life of David Koresh on this episode of Asshole Court. You come point guns in the direction of my wife and my kids, damn it, I'll, I'll meet you at the door any time. And I'm sorry some of you guys got shot, but uh, hey, God will have to sort that out, won't he? All right, now, before we start the episode, we want to talk a little bit about our uh, our trip to Denver that's coming up in August for the podcast convention. Hell yeah! And uh, a lot of people have asked us how you guys can help us out, and so we did set up a GoFundMe page. I swear we're not beggars. Uh, it's just it makes, it makes sense. We're trying to get uh, some extra cash to get out there and actually try to expand the show. So yeah, we're just trying to take this podcast to the next level, and you know we know that you guys are supportive of our endeavors of trying to get there. So this week we will have on all of our social medias, we'll have links to our GoFundMe. That way, if anybody wants to help, we would greatly appreciate it. And uh, yeah, no, just uh, really looking forward to going out there to Denver and having a good time. Yeah, Keith, big shout out, man. Sincerely appreciate that. That was a very generous of you. And, you know, I honestly can't thank you enough, man. You're a super fan. I know that uh, you're on Patreon and are always reaching out and always have really good ideas. And, uh, you know, great guy. I appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely, Keith, man. You are a rock star around here. 
And uh, anytime we're uh, anywhere around whatever city you're in, we'll definitely uh, look you up and have a beer with you. Yeah, come out to Denver, bro. Yeah, absolutely. Come down to Atlanta. Okay, so before we get started here, I uh, want to give a big shout out to our buddy Judy Miller, who's also a Patreon member. Judy! Yeah, as she had requested that we had done uh, the conspiracy court episode for the Denver airport, and we totally fucking forgot to give her a shout out on that. I promised her we'd give her one, so Judy, big props. Thank oh, you so yeah. much for being a Patreon member and supporting us, and I'm so super sorry about not fucking giving you a shout out so now you get a shout out on the big stage that's right yeah, Thanks, yeah. Judy. all right uh and besides that at least we couldn't find any requests for david koresh which seems odd to me yep yeah i thought does. we would have some so if you did uh request david koresh and we don't name you right now just give us a shout and we'll shout you out on the next one so you know we'll keep just we'll just keep doing this where we tell people where we miss Look, telling we're, them we're fairly organized but cut us a fucking break every <laughs> once in a while all right delayed gratification you that's know right. a little bit that's so. that's correct so uh beyond that uh, we're also going to start sort of a new little segment here short segment but it is uh, going to be called uh, from the inbox and it is just us talking about the things that you are talking to us about so uh buddy you, we got a, an email here recently uh, yeah, we got actually a message in on Instagram. Instagram, okay. That's right. It was from a user named uh, Melanie Apple, A-P-E-L. Apple. Apple? Melanie Apple. Apple. Yep, right. Mel Apple. Apollonia. That's right. So Mel was talking, and uh, she was bringing up that the uh, when we've talked about there's never been any double CD that's been worth it, that ah, it all yes, should be yes, brought yes, down yes. to one. Sure. But uh, she said that... Um, she would like to submit that Nelly's album Sweatsuit is totally worth it yeah. on the double album side. We, so. got a, we got a number of people that responded to us on that. The only one I could really give credit for was probably The Wall, maybe, because it sort of made sense as like a, uh, like a, you know, one of those albums that's telling like a longer story. Um, Nelly's Sweatsuit. Having a hard time <laughs> buying that one. I'll be yeah. honest. Yeah, I I'm feel right like there there's tracks you. on there that we could, that we could dismiss. The wall, at least, is maybe those story those songs were like part of the larger story arc. But is that the one that matches up to the Wizard of Oz? No, that's Dark Side of the Moon. Dark, Dark Side, Side of the Moon, which is a single yeah. album, which is also great because yeah. that's what it should be. Uh, we actually <laughs> did get a number of those responses, so we sincerely appreciate that. Yeah, thanks, Melanie. We're, I think I'm gonna have to go back and listen to Sweatsuit now just to uh, see, yeah. but I have a feeling. No, There's going to be tracks on there I could cut. <laughs> Guarantee it. Yeah. And a big shout out to uh, Sushi Tunes 23 gave us our latest uh, review on Apple Podcasts. Gave us a five star. Title of it was Doesn't Get Better Than This. Quote was Seriously Hilarious. Great Dynamic and one of our best podcasts. Still talking about it hours later. Too good. Yeah. That's sushi, awesome. I appreciate that. I'm actually sucking my own dick while I read that. <laughs> That's right. You know what I'm saying? We had a couple. Of, there was another girl. Uh, I can't remember her name. Let's look that up. From Oscar and CJ, and uh, it's, it sounds strange because it sounds like two people, but this was just from CJ, who I, uh, I'm assuming is the girl. Oscar, unless you're a girl named Oscar, which is kind of cool, I guess. Or it's two dudes. Could, well, no, no because she says, oh, okay. she says, hey, take this. <laughs> hey, take this however you want. But as a 23-year-old girl, Randy, uh, okay. uh, I don't normally listen to pods that have all-male hosts. But you guys are the exception. This podcast always makes me laugh and is genuinely pretty informative and well-researched. I'm recommending uh, you to all my friends. I'm currently working through all of your old episodes, but would like to hear you cover Chris Pratt. We've actually gotten yes. a number of requests for Chris Pratt. Yep. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea. I'd love to have him in the courtroom. Funny enough, initially when someone asked me about Chris Pratt, I thought they were talking about Chris Kattan. 
And I, <laughs> wow, that's a big difference. Very different. Yeah. And I and I was like, yeah, I heard everybody on SNL hated them or hated him. him. Yeah. So anyways, uh, you know, we really appreciate you guys leaving those five star reviews. It's super, super clutch for us. And like I said, really makes me feel good about myself. Uh, and I like to show it to everybody that I work with <laughs> to tell them that people appreciate what I do and what these guys do and what we all do. And it's also a big compliment from her saying that she doesn't listen to all, as a 23 year old, yeah. you yeah. know, a uh, person that they don't listen to all male podcasts and that they listen to ours. That's awesome. It That's, is. Uh, and especially because we've gotten a lot of stuff before where they were saying that we were mean sexist. to women. Yeah. <laughs> I took that. I resemble that remark. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, listen, I'm just kidding. I think sorry. we've always been pretty fair and balanced. Yeah, I said it before too. I was like, I'll be honest. If you go back and listen to our real early shows, like, it's fun to kind of hear our progression, um, our evolution, evolution over the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in the, the, we got that one person that was mad for us making fun of Mama June's looks, and I was like, dude, <laughs> I made fun of Papa John's face too. That's right. <laughs> Everybody's getting hit, and we make so. fun of ourselves every show. A hundred percent. Yeah, we're 100%. an equal opportunity slam That's fest right. here. That's so. So we really appreciate you guys. Anyway, so now let's uh, go ahead and get into preliminary scores for David Koresh. Buddy, what you got? All right. So David Koresh, um, this whole the, the whole Waco thing, I, I thought I remembered it a little bit more than I did uh, before we did the research on this show. Um, I remember at the time we were like in sixth or seventh grade when it happened. And it was crazy the amount of attention it got. It was yeah. the first thing like that that had ever happened yep. where it was just like a constant news story for mm-hmm. months it seemed like i thought i had remembered a lot of it but then uh i went back and watched the netflix waco yeah. documentary on it and realized i really didn't know shit well that was also extremely in depth so what we were watching as in seventh grade because i remember this and then, then pulling the tv out oh yeah for in, in health class yeah why it was like the finale the of shit the, was popping off yeah Everything the finale was of the waco yeah. siege you couldn't really know all the stuff that we're getting in the Waco. Yeah, thing. like 30 years later. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so I tried to watch the... Uh, Mikey advised me to watch a show. It was like a Waco series where... Yeah. Uh, like a mini-series that had John Leguizamo in it. Yeah. And it was actually... play. Uh, David Koresh was played by Taylor Kitsch, yeah. who they actually cast really well yeah, he, uh, looked he like looks him. spot on for him <laughs> he looked like him looks just like him but i wasn't able to watch it it was on nothing but pay tv mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't gonna bite the bullet just i also want to point out too that as i was talking about health class in seventh grade that our coach for health class literally looked oh. like david koresh yes he did <laughs> yes so, he fucking did so much so r.i.p coach collins yeah. wow he was a great guy wow. he was he was the antithesis of david koresh but it was, it was sort of a moment where i was like wait a second david koresh is pulling out a tv to show us what's happening to david koresh <laughs> in waco yeah it was not a good time to look like david koresh as a middle school gym teacher yeah yeah, yeah. when yeah. all of that glasses was the same oh, same the build hair. I'm telling wow. you, he yeah. was David Koresh. Yep. Well, that caught me off guard and brought back some memories right there, Mikey. Yep. Good call. But uh, so, no, um, yeah, uh, pre-show, I, you know, if I'm basing this on what I knew him beforehand, uh, before we did all the research, I'm going to have him more at about a 5.7. I didn't know all of, I mean, like I knew he was crazy out there, but I didn't know that, I, I didn't realize at the time that he was, you know, messing around with younger girls and all that stuff. That was stuff that was just outside of my... Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You know, like I was like, oh, they're holed up in there. Yeah. You know, oh shit, the building's on fire. You know, that was, I just kind of yeah. caught the highlights more so. I wasn't paying attention to that. Right. So yeah, early on, yeah, I, I you know, I knew that like if we say the average person is a three or a four, I thought that he was crazy, but I didn't realize he was this psycho. Okay. But yeah, so pre-show, I got to go with what I thought it would have been. And uh, yeah, I'm giving him a 5.7 as a pre-show. And we'll see where that jumps up to by the end of the show. Buddy oh. uh, buddy coming in at 5.7, the basement. And then we're going to move on to Randall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Randall, so, what you got? We're uh, our, our boy, David Koresh. So just like you guys, I remember the highlight, the finale, right? The building on fire, the ATF guys getting carted out. And you have that memory we talked about. It's almost like yeah. two stages of it, right? The initial and then the post. I found that in the initial... I, you know, it was like this crazy guy, this cult leader, yeah. right? That initial shock. And it was, you know, it, it is what it is. They were kind of telling a story. No matter how you told the story, it was mm-hmm. fucking crazy. Yes. So then fast forward and we do start getting the information and how it all kind of played out. It's still fucking crazy. Yes. And I think his action and his, um, I guess, dedication to live, I guess, the life he thought he would, but... The toll it took on so many other people around and all yeah. the people that it affected. Absolutely. Oddly enough, um, I've got him at a 9.25 okay. pre-show. Christ. Yeah. I do think he's a little worse than Jared Fogle. Um, somehow, Vlad the Impaler landed at 9.25. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Vlad's been coming up a lot here. Yeah. Yeah. But pre-show, I've got uh, I've got him just below Jim Jones, but 9, 9.25 for me. Pre-show. You remembered more than I did pre-show. Yeah. You know. so. It's all right. What do you got, Mikey? Okay, so uh, we uh, are all, we all remember this, but it, it is interesting to talk about what actually happened. And yeah, they, it is foggy when we were younger, and it is a little bit crazy. Like when we go back and look at some of the things that were going on in the '90s as far as religion, because I distinctly remember where we grew up. There was the lady that saw Jesus in the tree, oh, or absolutely. whatever, absolutely, and like in the clouds. And, and yeah. we like went out to the farm out there. Mary. It was Mary. Mary. Yeah. Right. Mary and the tree. And like, yeah, yeah, like there was, there was just like, and like hundreds of thousands of people came. Yeah, exactly. This was the thing where this is, wasn't some, no. it was some small town bullshit, but it grew to it where huge. in our town, there was literally 200,000 people. It was right up. down the road from my house. Yeah. It yeah. sure was. Literally. Yeah. yeah. Literally. Yeah. And so like, what yeah. people don't know is that I would just go up there, stand on the roof, smoke tons of weed and be like, <laughs> I'm a cloud and I'm Mary. <laughs> So there's some crazy religious shit going on back in the in yeah. the 90s, of course. So, um, I mean, I know a lot about this because uh, having been raised in a cult for a short amount of time, yep. these things sort of like, you know, sort of like raise my radar a little bit. <laughs> and I remember this happening and being like, yeah, yeah, yeah that could have been me. I could have been involved in this somehow as a child, unfortunately. But uh, I think he is uh, atrocious. I think he's uh, an awful person. We're going to get into a lot of it here. I'm going to uh, score him right at a 9.33. I'm going to put him right there with Jim Jones. Right with Jim Jones. Okay. 9.33 pre-show for Mikey. All right. With a 5.7 from Buddy, a 9.25 from Randy, and a 9.33 from Mikey, David Koresh's pre-show asshole score is an 8.09. 8.09. Very interesting territory. Just above Scott Peterson, who came in at 8.0. And Bonnie and Clyde, who came in at 8.1. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bonnie and Clyde. That was a fun episode. It sure was. It so was. in between Scott Peterson and Bonnie and Clyde pre-show, we've got David Koresh. Love it. All right. All right. You guys ready to set the world on fire? Hell yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> 
David Koresh is born on August 17th, 1959 in Texas. Although the name on his birth certificate is not David Koresh. Uh, he was actually born as Charlie Chomo. I'm just kidding. He, <laughs> oh, it's Charles Chomo. Charles Chomo. He, he was born Vernon Wayne Howell, which somehow sounds more molesty itself than Charlie Chomo. So there you go. Oh, Vernon Wayne. Vernon Wayne. Vernon Wayne. Sorry to any Howell. Vernons out there, but it is kind of a Chomo yeah, name. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and up front, we're going to use the word Chomo a lot. It stands for child molester. That's correct. That's yes. correct. When Vernon who, for simplicity's sake, I will refer to as David Koresh from here on out, <laughs> is born. His mother, Bonnie Sue Clark, is just 15 years old. And his father, Bobby Wayne Howell, is 20. Old Bobby Wayne is running that Elvis game. Yeah, Man. But Bobby Wayne has an insatiable appetite for teens, and he actually abandons Bonnie and Lil Koresh before he even enters into the world properly. Mm. Seems like he found himself another underage girl to try and impregnate, so... Lil Crush's dad seems like a real stand-up guy. But we all know that if you're appearing in asshole court, the smart money is on your dad being an abandoning deadbeat loser and or a pervert. Yep. It's like 90% yeah, of the people that we cover say here. Last show, but yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. every show almost. That's true. Almost every show. So like I said, there's no surprise there. Anyway, Bonnie knows that without Bobby Wayne around, she'll have to find a good male role model for Lil Dave. After all, Without a good role model, little Dave might turn into some kind of a weirdo, right? We wouldn't want that. And that mm. might have been a good rap name for him, Lil Dave. Lil Dave. <laughs> so she immediately shacks up with a violent alcoholic. But after four years of living with an abusive drunk, Bonnie has had enough and she decides to leave him. I can't take this no more. God, she's, what, 20 at this point? 21? Also, I'm sorry, Bonnie actually leaves little David with her mother to go live elsewhere with said abusive drunk. Oh, no. no. Yeah. Damn, Bonnie. Mm -hmm. So little Dave obviously wins the fucking parental lottery, right? (laughs) What could go wrong? But let's give Bonnie a little credit, I guess, because she does return to little Koresh a few years later after she marries a bearded carpenter named Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. His name is Roy Haldeman. He is a carpenter, but I don't know if he had a beard or not. Huh. Odds are, in yeah. those times he did. Yeah, or at uh, least a mustache. Uh, Mid '60s. No, nobody had beards then. Yeah, that was a that was a clean shaven. Yeah, yeah clean. you didn't start getting the beards back until the '70s and the '80s. They yeah. were real big again. Like Mungo Jerry well, had like a Woodstock beard, was, but it was yeah. Woodstock was 69. it was all the hippies. Yeah. It was all the hippies had oh, beards, yeah. Yeah. but the the adults did not. It was you were clean shaven. <laughs> you came back from WW2 or Korea, and you just you had to clean shave your face so you could put that gas mask on, my man. Yeah. According to Koresh himself, his childhood was extremely lonely. He was a poor student with a noticeable stutter who was picked on. Apparently, classmates called him Vernie, which is just so rude. Vernie. Mm-hmm. And he struggles with dyslexia, enough that he's eventually put into special education classes. So while most of our show subjects tend to claim some level of genius, Lil Koresh joins the esteemed ranks of our subjects who fall on the opposite end of that bell curve He's hanging out over there with Gigi Allen. <laughs> and Forrest The Gump. wrong side. Yeah. Yes. Now, interestingly enough, Koresh's mother, Bonnie Sue, remembers his youth very differently. From an interview years later, she would say, quote, He was a very inquisitive kid. I would buy things and he would end up taking them apart to see how they would work, especially electronics and stuff. He was a very curious kid. He taught himself how to fix lawnmowers and how to roof a house when he was just a kid. Growing up, he had a hard time in school. The first few grades. They said he had a learning disability. He was in special classes when he lived in Richardson, but he was always wanting to learn and explore. 
He asked a lot of questions. He used to say he stuttered, but I never heard him stutter. He was too much of a talker. He loved to tell stories. If we were sitting around the campfire or something, we used to camp a lot. He would tell stories, made up stories, you know, and ghost stories. When he was 12 or 13, he started reading the Bible and listening to radio preachers. He had a lot of friends. He'd get out and work in the yard and climb trees and run around with his dog and ride his bike. He wasn't a sit in the front of the TV kind of guy. He taught himself how to play the guitar. And he went through a stage as a teenager where he wanted to be a rock star. We bought him the guitar and the wah-wahs and the speakers and he nearly drove us crazy. We'd come home in the evenings and he'd be blasting that music so we had to move him out to the barn. The neighbors complained, but you know, that's typical. He said he was going to be a rock star. In those years, he was a little bit rebellious. He didn't want to cut his hair and all that sort of stuff. End quote. Sounds like she has a little different version yes. of David's version of his upbringing. Yeah. Exactly. So like I said, I don't know. That sounded very normal. Yes. Extremely Especially normal. for that time. You yeah. know, like there was nothing out of place there. Right. I don't know why Koresh would tell a, a story so different from his mother's, but like perhaps his mother was like just trying to save face for having been a part of his hardship as a child. And I think that that's going to be something that, that we see time and time again here in the show in between what we think is the truth and what's not like yeah. what David's mom saying versus what David's saying, yeah. what the cops are saying versus what David's saying. There's going to be a lot of, you know, it, it is what it is. It always falls right in the middle usually. Right. It's true. And also there's a, in, in like the literature world, there's something called an unreliable narrator, which is what takes place in books. Sometimes it makes it interesting because you don't know whether the narrator is telling you the truth or not. Right. David Koresh. I don't know. Maybe that was the way that he sort of made people feel sorry for him and like, Talked about how he overcame his difficulties, you know, sort of like a Tony Robbins set up or or trying to like parallel his life to Jesus. Like he had so much trouble, like I was yeah. a loner and nobody yeah. believed me and yeah. I had to kind of walk this path my own. I had a stutter and then I went out in the desert for 40 days and Satan tried to tempt me and then I ate acid <laughs> and now I'm <laughs> yeah. straight. But now this burning bush is telling me to mm-hmm. go forward. No, he a lot of bush back then. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Either way, what we do know for a fact is that Koresh drops out of school. Some things I found said like 11th grade, some said 9th grade, one said middle school. I don't even know how you drop out of middle school. <laughs> I don't know. When we were kids, you could only drop out when you were finally 16. Yeah, 16. Yeah. yeah. So if that happened and you were in middle school at 16, you were fucked anyways. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They just sort of pass you up until you go to high school. Then you start really like that's when the rubber really meets the road. Sure. Yeah. Back then it was all about like uh, your parents would up until high school. It's whether your parents want to hold you back. Right. <laughs> you know? I think we should hold them back. But the teachers were never like you're failed, you little punk bitch. Anyways, just a couple of years later, at the age of 19, Koresh gets his girlfriend pregnant. What's well, not totally abnormal that happens. But the trouble is his girlfriend is only 15. Ew. Sounds familiar. Yeah, this is not cool. Even back then, folks were pretty pissed at Koresh. And uh, maybe being viewed as a creep, and rightfully so, uh, it sends young Koresh fully into religion as a means of atonement. It's what it seems like. According to his mother, quote, he was living in his car and he started praying. He was going to graveyards and praying and going to all the preachers around the area and asking questions. End quote. So that's normal. Walking around a graveyard and praying because you impregnated a 15-year-old. This all seems very just boilerplate at this point, right? And like that kind of came out of nowhere because uh-huh. you were talking about getting the girl pregnant and then all of a sudden he's praying in cemeteries. Cemeteries. Yeah. Cemeteries. Cemeteries, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was like, look here, Joe Smith, who died in 1947. I really should have pulled out. Yeah. But I didn't. <laughs> what am I going to do, Joe Smith? What do I do, Joe Smith? 
Oh, I see that you didn't pull out either, and your wife was only 12. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyways, all right. It's around this time he first becomes a born-again Christian with the Southern Baptist Church, which, if you're from the South and are familiar, is a problematic organization in its own way. But not long after he decides that, when it comes to Christianity, well, the SBC just isn't bizarre enough for his personal tastes. So he switches gears and he joins the church of his mother, Bonnie Sue, uh, that the church that she's invested in, which is the Seventh Day Adventist. Okay, the, yeah, they're a very, very conservative mm-hmm. Christian organization. Yeah, right. they go to church on Saturdays. Yeah, really? Yeah, Seventh Day Adventists. They go to church on Saturdays because yes. the Seventh Day is really you do nothing on. I guess. I guess. I just know they go on Saturday. Interesting. Yeah. Well, here's a little information on the Seventh Day Adventists. All right. They are a subsection of Christians that could best be described as millennialists, which I've talked about in another episode before, which is just almost entirely based on Jesus coming back. Everything's apocalyptic. Essentially, like I said, they're super horny for the end of days and the return of Christ. But let me give you like a little bit more on the Seventh Day Adventists here, as it certainly sets the table for the rest of the story. First, there's the name, right? Well, the reason they're called Seventh-day Adventists is because they believe in a literal and historical six-day creation. Oh, yeah, because on the seventh day, he rested. Yes. Yes, yes which is, I guess... The that, whole world was created in six days, and on the sixth day, he yeah. created... Or on the fifth day, he created man. On the sixth day, he created woman. Yeah. On the seventh day, he rested. That's right, because God uh, is definitely on the Gregorian calendar, Yeah, and he also operates on the time calendar of a tiny planet that's spinning around a you know totally average star on one end of the milky way amongst millions of other galaxies out there yep. that's the center of the world uh-huh. that's why they do this of course it makes obvious sense to me of course. i don't know it does what's more is that they're pretty sure that jesus kind of went to the earth stadium parking lot a bit early to tailgate and pregame a little bit before the rapture kickoff <laughs> Adventists believe that uh, after 2,300 years in 1844, Christ went to the holiest place to cleanse it before his second coming to earth, and that while he was doing that, the Holy Spirit is working to cleanse God's people. Most importantly, the Seventh-day Adventists are like super big on prophecy. But where was the place that he cleansed most? Oh, I don't know. It's probably in section C of the uh, Turner Field parking lot. <laughs> yeah, I, they were talking. They don't about, say. They just. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, they're just like. Exa- they don't. It's just okay. So he went and he's getting. He's getting himself ready. He's he's, he's finishing off that eighth natty light before he walks in to check his ticket. It's like, oh, Scottsdale, Arizona, is uh-huh. the cleanliest or the place I will go cleanse. Or they didn't give any specifics around the. place. I didn't get too deep into it because it's all horseshit. It, but I know it's that's, that's fair. Where's the research? I know, true, that's true, I know, I know. I should do this, I should do a better job. (laughs) We would be here for three hours. That is true, don't let me do it. I know, we know. Like I said, they're super big on prophecy though. It is like, according to their belief, an important gift from God and is seen as an identifying mark of the remnant church. Adventists believe this gift was manifested in the ministry of Ellen G. White, whom they regard as the Lord's messenger. Okay, so... They believe that, like, this is one of those subsections of Christianity where they're like, you have prophets all the time. And they're going to tell you what's going on. Okay. And they whiff all the time, but fuck that. It doesn't matter, right? Hey, as long as they're above that Mendoza line. That's it. You know. This, they never are. They they're never always are. Bad zero. <laughs> this lady's name was Ellen. Ellen G. White. 
No, it's for real. Like they're literally like in terms of apocalypses, uh, everybody's batting zero. Yeah, zero. <laughs> there's a whole science. There's a whole Wikipedia page on uh, claims of uh, the apocalypse that's going to happen and them missing every time, <laughs> every fucking time. And it'll play in here in a second. So just go ahead and get ready. Yeah, fantastic. Heaven, Heaven's Gate may be the, my favorite story. It is because the Hale Bop comet was All actually super dope. I remember when that was happening yeah. in '97. It was Dude, amazing to see. That was one of the most insane meteor showers I've ever seen oh, in my for life. Sure. Oh, for like, sure, it was a comet. It was a comet it, that just hung in the that hung in the sky for weeks, oh, yeah. and it was visible, like so super visible. Yep. The tail, everything. I remember being super high at my dad's house <laughs> out in the middle of like nowhere, <laughs> and just being like, "God damn, I can totally get why they thought that was their rocket ship." <laughs> and then I sobered up after I ate a couple hot pockets and called it a day. Tired of commercials in the middle of your asshole court episodes? Do you want to say in the next show subject or the next conspiracy we discuss? Well, now you can. Go to patreon.com slash AHC podcast. Get those ad-free shows you want. Get some input on who you want to hear about and become internet famous with a shout out on one of our shows. We've even got stickers and swag to show off to all your friends and you'll get new conspiracy court episodes as well. Go to patreon.com slash AHC podcast to find us today. So anyways, Koresh, he joins the chapter of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and he begins attending like fervently, like he's super about this shit. The trouble for him is that he just can't seem to stop wanting to fuck underage girls. It's mm, a problem. He falls in love with the pastor's daughter, which wouldn't be such a big deal, except that at this point, Koresh is like 20-ish and the pastor's daughter, well, she's only 12. Oh, oh man. So what does uh. what does Koresh do? Well, he wraps it all up in the veneer of being ordained by God. While praying for guidance, Koresh opened his eyes and allegedly found the Bible open at Isaiah 34, 16, stating that, quote, none should want for her mate. That's it. Which is just vague and cryptic enough to be applied to whatever the fuck you want it to be. For me, I could interpret that as God being Australian. None should want for her mate. <laughs> <laughs> None, mate. None should want, should for, want her. for her, mate. Yeah, that's not underage. This is underage. Or just kind of a, a mumbly stoner teenager. None for should want from her, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's just none it's, should want from her. Yeah, that's why the Bible's so great for anybody that wants to apply whatever they want. It's real easy. You're just like, I think that it's like this. It's like which version? Well, this one's a little different. Open and shut case, Johnson. Johnson that's right. right. But of course. Koresh feels that it's God telling him that it's not only a-okay to try to bang a 12-year-old, but it is actually what he wants. God wants you to fuck this 12-year-old, Dave. You know, it's interesting because in the Waco documentary on Netflix, there's this one, uh, one of the main ladies in it was one of the ladies that was inside for mostly the duration. Her name is Kathy Schroeder. And Kathy was talking about how it's crazy seeing her even like 30 years later, just like still how devoted she is to David and all of his teachings. Wow. But she was saying that in their church, girls came of age at 12 years old. Mm -hmm. So David wasn't raping or wasn't doing anything that wasn't in the normal course of life. Yeah. So that's how he got all these people that were with him to basically he was like banging all their kids in the name of the Lord. He never came out and said it. He would have basically these parents arguing for it in a sense 
And they were like, yes, he was our, it wasn't even like he was doing it for sex in a sense. It was almost like he was being the Lord in that minute. And that was them being with their God. Yeah. It was crush fucking like, yeah. and it was yeah. just crush fucking the whole time. They talked about it like his room there. Yeah. Four fifths of it was just the bed. Yeah, yeah. like oh so, God. and like they would all like. I remember in that series, then they they said that, and then they showed a room where it was just a regular queen size yeah, bed. Yeah, like, like, no, that's not I four thought. fifths of the. Yeah, yeah, I thought the same thing. Yeah. But like, even um, we're thinking about the important things. That's not accurate <laughs> about the bed size. <laughs> but no, he does, and like how they he would have like these late night scripture meetings with like, you know, the whole congregation, but he would go to like four in the morning or something like that. And all the girls were like trying to stay up late just to be chosen by him to go back to like, you know, like maybe I could be picked by the Lord. Can you blame him? I mean, who doesn't want to fuck sexy weird Al? Well, it's like the after (laughs) show. They're like the groupies trying to get with uh, the rock star after 100%. It is crazy. Like, wow. Yeah. So that gives you sort of a sense of where he's at mentally and what he's going to end up pushing later on. But at this point, like I said, he's in love with this 12 year old. So he decides to take that info to the pastor and he's all like, look, I didn't expect this, bro, but I can't deny what the big man wants, right? And neither can you. So you're going to have to offer up your 12-year-old daughter to me as a child bride, okay? (laughs) And the pastor is like, well, I don't love that, but it's a pretty strong argument. And you're sure that God told you this? 100%, bro. I'm kidding. The pastor is like, you get the fuck out of here before I kill you, (laughs) you little bitch. Yeah, that's what I figured would happen. I've got an 11-year-old daughter right now, and like to be to think that like yeah. within the next six months, I was like, oh, well, hey. How the <laughs> fuck do you sexualize a kid at that age? Jesus oh, Christ. Like, I, I don't understand. Yeah. So anyways, like this expulsion from that chapter doesn't deter the pedo warrior Koresh. Oh, no. He continues to try to pursue a fucking 12-year-old girl until finally the entire Seventh-day Adventist church is like, I mean, yeah. We're crazy as fuck, but this is a step too far. <laughs> Expelled. He got canceled. He got canceled, yes. Following this, Koresh, who really loved playing the guitar and having shitty haircuts, decides that the path for him is rock and roll. So he does what so many delusional dipshits do and goes to Hollywood to pursue a career in rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. And just like so many of those delusional dipshits, he fails miserably. Yep. Now. Side note here, I spent a good bit of time really trying to dig into this period of his life because, I mean, what a funny juxtaposition in time. For real, at the same time that David Koresh is wandering the Sunset Strip and trying to make it in rock and roll, there very well may have been a time in which he passed by like the young Motley Crue squad who were also <laughs> working to become famous. Koresh is making shitty rock for Jesus and Nikki Six and the crew are getting ready to shout at the devil. That's right. He's trying to recruit Tommy Lee to be his drummer. He's That's like, nah, it. man. Well, and you remember Guns N' Roses, they were in that same little area. They, they were they were a couple years, a little bit later, later though. This is yeah. 78, 79. Uh, yeah, they were later than that. But yeah. that same area. That oh, yeah. Nasty, yeah. And yeah. Strip. It brings a side question up in my mind, which is, why does Christian rock suck so fucking bad, but music about the devil slaps so fucking hard? <laughs> anyway, the sad reality is that I couldn't find much at all about his time in Hollywood around this time, aside from the obvious failure. Following this failure, Koresh switches back to the religious thing. Yeah, rock, rock didn't work out. Yeah, and he actually brought, he was like, it's not going to work out, but you know what? Maybe I can make it work somewhere else. 
And yeah. he starts like recruiting people to be in his band. I'll yeah. Go, I'll go back to the church, my debut album, Back to Jesus. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's why the South Park episode where they d- decide that he's like, all you got to do is write a love song, but instead of baby, you just change it to Jesus. <laughs> and it's and it's so on point. So on point. That's maybe, maybe we're sort of dissecting why Christian rock sucks so much balls. Hey, Creed and what's the lead singer? Oh, Scott, Scott Stapp. Scott Stapp. Yeah. He's going to come at you, Mikey. Oh, dude. Honestly, at this point, I mean, he probably asked to be on our show. <laughs> hey, dudes, like nobody will talk to me. I'll get on your tiny little podcast and we'd let him on. Sure. In a heartbeat. I'd be like, you're going to really hate this episode yeah. because surprise, we're doing an episode on you. Quarters in session. <laughs> Love it. The verdict is in. Uh, following this failure, like I said, Crush switches back to the religious thing. And this time he realizes the error of his ways previously. The SBC was too conventional. And so was the Seventh-day Adventist church. He needs something more obscure, more arcane, something a little weirder. He finds a subsect of the Seventh-day Adventist church to scratch that itch. In 1981, he finds the Branch Davidians. And it's impossible to understand the whole story like here without really having the background on this group, if only to understand the waters that we're swimming in. Now, a lot of people that aren't familiar with the details might think that Koresh founded like the Branch Davidians, but that isn't true at all. I thought that for a while because like too. it was David Koresh. I thought they were all like Branch Davidians. Yeah, like, David. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. They were called the Branch Vernies. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean, Vern? You want me to fuck this 12-year-old Vern? Vernie Koresh, I'm asking you today to follow me in a cult. <laughs> what do you think, Vern? JFK. JFK started a cult. Uh, I was trying to be Vernie Sanders. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why I'm asking you to join the cult today. He's got his mittens, mittens on. Yeah, I'm talking with my mittens on. Oh, man. Yeah, so like I said, Dave Crush did not start the Branch Davidians. It was, as I mentioned previously, an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventists, but it was founded in 1929 by a Bulgarian named Victor Hutef, and they were initially known as just the Davidians, not the Branch Davidians. Roughly six years later, after 1929, Hutef and 37 of his followers resettled two miles from Waco, Texas, where they established the Mount Carmel Center. The community flourished there, growing to around 90 people by 1955. Hutef had complete authority over the congregation, viewed by his followers as the only person who could reveal biblical secrets about the end of time. Among his teachings, Hutef stated that he would not die, but would lead his people to old Jerusalem and therefore to the heavenly Canaan. So needless to say, the Davidians were a bit surprised when Hutef, you know, died. Died, yeah. I knew that was coming. <laughs> well, yeah, because that's what people do. You start something in 1929, you ain't fucking alive now. That's right. What the hootif? Yeah, yeah, dude. It's uh, you. Yeah, you're not gonna. <laughs> whole world changes if this guy's still alive. I just left my earthly body. Yeah, exactly. I'm a pharaoh. Now, prior to his passing, Hutef had appointed his second wife, Florence Hutef, to lead the Davidians until the Lord chose another prophet to take charge. So he basically had like a little contract, like, all right, all right, I, I broke the first contract. The second contract is, is, is in place and it's, it's going to be okay. You're going to love Florence. Yeah, I was going to say, Flo will lead you to the promised land. That's it. Progressive. Yes. Yeah, she's very progressive. Florence sold off the property they lived on since the 30s and resettled on a nearly thousand acre farm east of Waco. They called the property New Mount Carmel. Huh. Pretty imaginative stuff there. 
Anyway, Florence spices things up for the squad and declares that Jesus' totes coming back on Passover, April 22nd, 1959. Ah. Very specific date. The Davidians are fucking hype, boy. I bet there were some really fun conversations amongst them the night before. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like how people talk about how they're going to spend their hundreds of millions of lottery winnings the day of the Mega Millions drawing. And just like the lottery, nearly everyone is massively disappointed when the time passes. Oh, man. I've already bought Mikey and Randy a house 14 times. Oh, man. You know, but I'm telling you, it's look, I'm a rational person. And even I buy that like Mega Millions ticket. I'm like. I mean, it's a non-zero chance here. That's right. If I do that, I've got a whole plan to play. I was like, I'm setting up a trust. I'm immediately leaving the country, and I'm sending tickets out to my friends later. And then, and then I I lose as I I will always for the rest of my life. And I'm like, you're a fucking idiot, Mike. I was talking with my sister about it yesterday. I was like, hey, if I ever win the lottery, I'm just gonna disappear. I love you. You'll get a lump sum, and if the chopper ever shows up, like just get on the fucking chopper. Just get All right, in, yeah. Get in the chopper. Get in the chopper. Well, I'm a little darker. I would make a trust fund to make people sort of fight for their money. So you guys enjoy that. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. We'll find you. Well, you guys are good. No, you won't. <laughs> we'll if you find do you. find me, I'll have someone kill you. <laughs> you I can afford really good security. Anyways, apparently something like 900 Davidians had gathered. But on April 23rd, 1959, recognizing that Florence was way off, <laughs> they dispersed, kicking rocks all the way down the road. Oh, man. While this embarrassment is taking place, a usurper is primed and ready to act. While the gatherings were taking place in April of 1959, Benjamin Roden, a former Seventh-day Adventist who had accepted the teachings of what was called the Shepherd's Rod in 1946, he announces that he was the sign the Davidians were seeking. The failure of the prophecy discredits Florence Hutif and a small following looked to Rodin as their new prophet. Ooh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Rodin's branch Davidians claimed the new Mount Carmel property, which was now just 77 acres. So they were really oh, piecing that thing off. Parceling it off. Yeah, it? dude. I mean, okay. a thousand acres almost yeah. to 77 and just. That's yeah, less than a tenth of yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I think old Hutef fucked up when he let Florence run that shit. <laughs> I'm taking 90 percent and I don't give a fuck if my <laughs> predictions don't come true. How are we going to make our budget make sense this year? Sell off more land. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Rodin's branch of idiots claim the new Mount Carmel property, like I said. And this is where things get fucking weird. Yes, weirder even than what we've already talked about. Benjamin Roden holds the fort down for a couple of decades, right? He's the one that usurps Florence, and uh, his teachings focus on the significance of the restored state of Israel, which serves as a sign of the preparation for Christ's return to earth. Now, if you're involved in these circles, as I was as a young child, and also just sort of following them as I got older, this is a big deal. When Israel forms in 1948, this is like a signal to everybody. They're like, end times are coming soon. Now it's the third temple of Israel. And there's, uh, even now, there's tons of people that talk about that this happens, which is why you get these weird uh, setups where you have these uh, evangelical Christians that absolutely are pro-Israel, but also sort of hate Jews. Uh-huh. Weird. Because, okay. yeah, like yeah. they don't hate Jews. They're just not like, it's just, it's a strange dynamic, but it, they seem to be rooting on Israel fighting everybody in the, in the Middle East because that fulfills the prophecy of the end of times. Of course. So anyways, like uh, Benjamin like travels to Israel like off and on and even establishes some followers there as well. But death comes for us all. And old Ben buys a figurative farm in 1978. All right. And just like Mr. Hutef, 
Benjamin Roden passes the torch to his wife, a woman named Lois Roden. Now, Lois takes a little different tack uh, when it comes to her ministry. Her teachings centered on the female nature of the Holy Spirit and the co-dominion of women and men in the church. This corresponded with ideas circulating from like the feminist movement in the 1970s. Burning the bras yeah, and stuff like that. exactly. And the growing egalitarian teachings of many Adventist sects. Sure. Which is honestly kind of cool. Uh, that's that's great. Progressive. Progressive. Yeah. 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 In uh, 1979, Roden, uh, and this is Lois Roden, she begins publishing the Shekinah, a short-lived journal on the women's place in religion. She also often spoke to media outlets about the femininity of the Holy Spirit, hoping to spread her teachings to a wider audience. God could be a woman. Yeah. Would it even be? I mean, again, we're talking about. Right. Is it a gender? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) There's only two genders. God and like the other one that sucks. (laughs) What was that song back in the 90s? Uh what, what if God, God was one of us? But he, but in that song, it's, she's referred to as a girl, yeah. right? Dude, my mom had a big problem with that really? song back in the 90s. Like, we were not allowed to listen to she's that like, song. She's like, God definitely has a dick. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was mad about that song. It's I so absurd. Like I said, I mean, when you look at the vastness of the universe, like I said, we're putting a, a seven-day timeline <laughs> on a tiny planet in the middle of nowhere in the whole world, and then also being like, also, this, this species that has a male and female well, the god of this entire universe is like that one with a dick. <laughs> Definitely has a dick. Dude, if he didn't have a dick, then fuck me. You know what I'm saying? This is look, look who changes all the tires on that planet. That's for real. <laughs> Pays the mortgages. You know what I'm saying? The other one washes the dishes. Yeah. I think the uh, well, 23 year old female listener. Oh, I mean, she out. knows we're making fun of this shit. It's yeah. absurd, dude. It's totally absurd. So, anyways, in 1981. This is the setting that David Koresh, failed rock star with a lame perm, arrives at in New Mount Carmel. I like to imagine him pulling up in a dust cloud on a motorcycle with a guitar case on his back, like some nerdy Christian version of Antonio Banderas in Desperado. And like a firebird. I almost kind no, of No, no, motorcycle. It. Oh, motorcycle. Like Desperado. <laughs> He's got the guitar on his back that is full of machine guns. I, I don't know whether it happened that way. Obviously, it didn't. But David Koresh gets to do what he loves to do at that point he loves rocking out and trying to fuck anything that walks and that includes the very elderly lois roden yeah <laughs> for real yeah nice how old was she 70s Mid-60s. in her 70s Mid 60s. yeah but she looked all of 87 <laughs> yeah oh, like. but they also had the same haircut sort of which is great <laughs> The Olin Mills picture of them is quite so awesome look like some muppet shit going do on do you remember what your great grandma looked like yeah. It looked like that. Just like that. The Lois glasses, looked like that. The hair. She was old school old. Yeah. Man, she it. wasn't one that I was like, like 65 and getting her nails done and going and drinking <laughs> wine and boning a 40 year old. I got like Polish German lineage. So like my great grandma was kind of <laughs> stern looking. I think that's an accurate. Yeah, it's pretty spot on. Lois. <laughs> David Crush likes him all ages and shapes, apparently. That's though, right. right? And Lois... Hey, is, he didn't discriminate, sounds he like. He didn't, he yeah. didn't. Well, he had a plan on this one. Oh. He did. And Lois is smitten with a young man who not only looks like a pedophile, but actually is one. Their grody gilf and young neighbor dynamic causes some serious problems, though. <laughs> Gilfing it up. I got my hand stuck in the dryer, David. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And truth is, I shouldn't say gilf. I got gilf. my hand stuck in the butter turner, David. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't say gilf because it is not a grandma I'd like to fuck, but apparently it was... 
for young Bernie. Bernie. That's it. The primary. I'm asking you to have sex with me today. (laughs) Oh, dirty Bernie. That's it. Randy nailed it. Bernie Koresh. (laughs) So I said it causes some serious problems, though. The primary one involves Lois' son, George Roden. You see, George considers himself the natural heir for New Mount Carmel. And like I mentioned, Lois is old as fuck, yeah? So George is all eyes on the prize, you know? He's just waiting for the old bag to kick off so he can be the chief of that tribe of desperate, dumb weirdos. He's ready to live that, like, warlord in rural Texas lifestyle. It's his fucking birthright. Sounds like it. But now this young Greg Brady-looking motherfucker shows up from Hollywood with a guitar and starts fucking it all up. (laughs) First, his mom Lois, the leader, is now starting to talk up her new stud as the true leader of the Branch Davidians, and the Branch Davidians are listening. This infuriates George. Plus, you know, David is fucking his mom after all. (laughs) So the anger is pretty understandable, I think. Yeah, it's reaching a boiling point. Of how, course, and how old was this road guy? I mean, his fifties, I would guess. He, no, he's like he's, 40s, he's in his thirties, like thirties, like, like late thirties, close, closer okay. in age to David, much uh, so. Okay, okay. Because I'm thinking of she's in seventies. No, he's, at this point, he's in his forties, I think. Okay, early forties. Right. So, of course, David explains to anyone that asks that the reason he's given the old elderly woman rides on his boner coaster is because. That's what God wants him to do. That's right. In fact, he declares that the whole purpose is so that he can impregnate Lois with a chosen one. And let me remind everyone that Lois is in her mid to late 60s at this point, 20 or so years after menopause. So obviously, David does not understand human physiology. But nobody. <laughs> I always thought about that. The Kung Power and the uh-huh. Chosen One. Chosen One. <laughs> but nobody seems to point out the absurdity of it. So he just keeps going on with this <laughs> Chosen One bullshit story for a while. Davy's knocking the dust off of it, and that's a okay with everybody in the cult. So whatever. Well, she's of age, at least. Uh, oh yes, yeah. very much of age. <laughs> she is. She's. She has. It's like some Netherlands porn. She is weird over there. She, she has the sale price on her gallon of milk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> of course, George doesn't want to hear any of that shit. So he don't confr- you talk about my mom's right. titties, <laughs> Mikey. So he confronts David, and of course, I actually, I actually found, I found oh, that's right. a voice message that he left David. Let's hear it. Yeah. All right. Oh, Fuck fantastic. Yeah. I can't wait. Hear it, Mikey. Dude, you're fucking my mom and making her think that you're the leader here, bro. That shit is not fucking cool. I'm going to knock that perm out of your goddamn head. I'm going to fuck you with your little electric guitar while I play the Star Spangled Banner on it like Jimi Hendrix. And when I'm done, I'm going to drive to your mom Bonnie's house and fuck her so goddamn good that she marries me and makes me your stepdad. You scrawny ass Greg Brady looking motherfucker. Holy shit. That was wild, dude. Nice. Yeah. This is actual footage, right? No, absolutely not. I I, I actually I made this up uh and I just sort of like uh adjusted the sound and did it with a text to voice thing and then adjusted it. Uh and I can't tell you that I spent a solid hour on that just dying, dying laughing. There you go. So you're welcome. Yeah. I also don't think that a lot of people back in that day and age were calling each other bro, but maybe. Anyways, and maybe the initial confrontation at this point is enough to get crushed to bounce for a little while and lay low. 
But ultimately, he returns to New Mount Carmel and a battle for control begins. It comes to a head when George declares that there's only one way to decide who is the true heir to the throne of the Branch Davidians. Arm wrestle. Sort of. They'll have a contest. So George digs into a work shed there at New Mount Carmel and pulls out a cornhole board and bean bags. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also kidding about that. He's playing for big stakes here, so the contest has to be equally high stakes. George suggests that they both attempt to raise the dead. What? Wow. Yeah, I'm 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 not even kidding. What? George definitely is just like, hey, whoever the real deal is can raise the dead. So he actually digs up the body of one of the Branch Davidians that had died in the 60s. I'm not joking. This is all real. I'm like waiting for Mikey to be like, right. I'm just no, kidding. No, no, no. No. They dig up a pile of bones from yeah. the 60s yeah. and like raise them, like yeah. bring them back. So what's interesting to me here is that in a contest of absolute crazy David Koresh is not the clear winner. <laughs> George Roden is fucking bananas, and he indeed digs up the corpse of Anna Hughes, a woman that, yes, had died 20 years previous, and he begins praying over the body. Even David Koresh is like, yeah, it's a little bit too weird for me, bro. <laughs> wow. Before he goes back upstairs and plows George's mom again for a good measure. <laughs> But Koresh is also pretty wily, so he also calls the cops on George Roden because George definitely dug up a body, yeah. is praying over it, and that sure seems like an arrestable offense to most non-insane people. <laughs> but the police force of Waco obviously doesn't think too much about it. <laughs> Colt Prince digging up bodies and shit, and no, uh, like nothing major happens. They tell Koresh to produce some evidence, you know, like a, <laughs> a Polaroid or something. <laughs> but he can't, or he just chooses not to. So in 1985, George feels confident that he's got the juice and he and the, his band of followers escort Koresh and a group of his followers off of the new Mount Carmel property at gunpoint. So Koresh takes his growing band of followers and settles in Palestine, Texas, which I'm betting he chose because of his biblical name and all. And yep. he just loves cosplaying as Jesus. <laughs> Things seem to settle down for George and he probably thinks that he's taking the W like at this point, right? This is my congregation. But what he hasn't factored is David Koresh's absolute obsession outside of electric guitars and icky age-gapped relationships. And that obsession is guns. Yep. Yep. David Koresh fucking loves guns. But so does Roden. Honestly, considering how much uh, both of these dudes love Jesus and guns in Texas, I feel like if they existed in this time, they'd have a pretty good shot at making it a senator or something. <laughs> so there's a funny line in the Waco part where they talk about how David Koresh thought he was the second coming of Jesus Christ. And they were doing some kind of interview with people that were on the scene in Waco. And somebody said, uh, yeah, he believes he's the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if that's true, the Messiah is well armed this time. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Can't risk getting crucified again. You know what I'm right? saying? Yeah. Like I said, they, dude, they're, they're both armed to the fucking teeth wearing Benjamin Roden is wearing a cowboy hat, cigarette dangling out of his mouth. Like I said, this guy may have a good run at Ted Cruz at this point. No like it's, yeah, yeah huh. like, yeah. Yeah. Roden effectively declares war on Koresh. In a videotaped interview, Roden led a tour of the property using an M1 carbine as a pointer and declared, it's basically holy jihad, Khomeini versus Israel. That's what Koresh has with me, bro. Oh, wow. Jeez, Again, wow. they're living out their own little, like, holy wars with each other. Right. You're like, you're just two fucking nerds in Texas. Like, <laughs> chill the fuck out, dude. Anyway... David is plotting. 
waiting for an opportunity to take back the Mount Carmel property. When Lois Roden dies of breast cancer in late 1986, David knows that George is becoming increasingly isolated. And just one year later, he puts a violent plan into action. November 3rd, 1987, Koresh returns to Mount Carmel with seven followers in tow. He is geared up in camouflage and has an arsenal. Five .223 caliber uh, semi-auto rifles, two 12-gauge shotguns, and for some reason, a couple of .22s. I don't, <laughs> I don't really understand that. Just for sport. And right. one pellet gun just for fun. Yeah. You're going to really sting his ass before you kill him. Gun. Gotcha. <laughs> Roden got word of their arrival, though, and takes refuge behind a tree on the outskirts of the property. He waits for Koresh and his squad to arrive, and he's got a fucking Uzi with him. When the two parties meet, a gun battle ensues for several minutes. And amazingly, the only person that seems to have been injured is Roden. He fled the property with wounds to his hand and into his chest. So, like, they, like, roll up there with some serious, like, hunting rifles, a couple shotguns, it's a little Wiener 22s. He's got an Uzi, and only shot. one person gets injured. <laughs> yeah. Harry, you're alive. <laughs> you're a horrible <laughs> shot. Perhaps more surprisingly, when the dust settles and arrests are made and there is a criminal trial, Koresh's posse are found not guilty and Koresh is released after a mistrial and his case is declared. Whoa. Yeah, and this is actually is something that will come back around time and time again where it's like David kind of keeps on skirting certain situations. Yep. So then he kind of gets paralleled to Jesus in a sense, because this is the divine path for David. Uh, it's like, he can't get caught up in any of this trouble because oh yeah. he has a bigger mission. Yeah. It's just like when he found that, uh, Bible verse and told him to fuck that 12 year old. Yeah. He's like, dude, it, it was meant to be, this oh, is trust a, me. It'll come into play again and again. And I'll bring it up here later in the episode. Oh yeah. But, this is yeah. A, 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 um, critical thinking error. It's called painting the target after you shoot. <laughs> it is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you, you mash yeah. whatever you want. You're like, yeah. oh, well, I totally meant to hit this spot. Yeah. And people are like, that makes sense. I'm sorry. I know that a lot of the conversation now about cult followers is that they're intelligent people and that they just, they're in a weird time in their life. But honestly, you got to be fucking stupid. Yeah. I'm just tired of saying that. Like, you have to be insane to fall into this trap. I just, I feel like I could never, this would never happen to me. Now. Fast forward like 10 years when I'm in a college and we'll have a good laugh. <laughs> but it's crazy because like I, I'm going to circle back to Kathy Schroeder mm -hmm. because they're interviewing her 30 years later after the fact. And you can tell she is still like mm -hmm. highly committed so to wild, like, like, like she's crying oh, watching yeah. the footage being like, I should have been in there. And there's also a, another uh, another girl that was maybe like 10 years old at the time and she came out. Her name is Heather Jones, and she was actually yeah. the last child that came out yeah. wow. of um, you know, out of Mount Carmel um, before everything started to go sideways. And even she still is like heavily committed to it. She was like, oh, my family died and I should have died there with them. Well, survivor guilt is a real thing. Yeah. yeah like real. it's but it's crazy still. Like, Well, the ones that got away are like a, they're like an extension cord while you're using your little edger. Everybody else is like hardwired, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, it, but that actually even plays back into it too, because in a sense, David had painted everybody, all the cops, as being like the devil. Yeah. So when he was sending the kids out at that time, he was basically making the parents release their children to the devil to be able to pursue his ultimate mission at the end of the day. Oh yeah, well you're rationalizing an entirely irrational event. Situation. I know, it's like yeah. absolutely insane. Yeah, you, you got can't... the fucking ATF outside and you're trying to sell whatever it is you're selling yeah. me on, I'm not buying. Uh, like, yeah. But if you're already that knee deep in, like there's no going back. And for know? a penny and for a pound, baby. Yeah, yeah 100%. 
What's more, Koresh knows that Roden is thousands of dollars behind on the property taxes for New Mount Carmel, and he raises the money, pays off the balance, and takes control of the property. I know. Pretty wily. Yeah. Yeah, He's like, we were in this holy war, and I came out on top, so who's coming with me, and who's going with the devil? Yeah, it's like Jerry Maguire, but everybody actually walked out of the office with Jerry (laughs) Maguire when he did that. Who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? They're like, everybody else is looking at the guy that just got shot in his hand and his chest. They're like, I'm going to go with the guy that's not shot and has seven people with him with guns. Buddy, your score is too low. That person was definitely a giant asshole, and you rated them like they were Justin Bieber. Wouldn't you like to tell us what you think? Well, now you can. Check us out on all of our social media pages and tell us what you think about our scores, shows, and good looks. We'd love to hear what you think. Pucker up, Buttercup. It's back to asshole court. Anyway, so at this point now, the compound is under the absolute control of David Koresh. Side story here. George Roden would go on to live in a shitty apartment somewhere in Odessa, Texas. He was in bad enough financial shape to need a roommate, so a guy named Dale Adair moved in. But as that would turn out, Dale Adair was convinced that he was the messiah. I mean, poor George, he's fucking surrounded by the second comings, dude. Right? <laughs> Left and right. So he does a natural thing and he shoots Dale and hits him in the head with a hatchet, killing him. George is found not guilty due to reasons of insanity. He goes to a mental ward where he escapes for a short while, twice actually. On the second escape, he dies of a heart attack and that's the end of George Roden. No oh, shit. Womp, womp. Wow. Anytime I hear a hatchet to the head, I always think of, uh, what's the guy, the hitchhiker? Uh, yeah. Kai. Yeah, Kai the yeah, Hitchhiker. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Man. Wapow. Wapow. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like, think about how insane this is. This guy is the Messiah. The other guy that he's fighting in gunfights with is also the Messiah. And then he has to get like, he, he a, has to apartment. Kill his roommate with the hatchet. He has to go get an apartment because he can no longer get that Messiah money. And his roommate turns out to also be the Messiah. What luck. He had it been on like a Messiah website, like the Messiah roommate website. This was before websites. I know. That's part of the joke. No, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's Air J and J. This was Craigslist or whatever, like yeah. the, the one ads. Yeah. Air J and B. It would be like the Air J, Jesus and Breakfast. Yeah. Now, firmly at the helm, David Koresh finally becomes David Koresh. He legally changes his name. He chooses David for the famous biblical king and giant slayer, and Koresh, a Hebrew interpretation of Cyrus, for Cyrus the Great, a Persian king who is named a messiah, another messiah, for freeing Jews during the Babylonian captivity. He's no longer a little nerdy Vernie Howell. He's a self-proclaimed prophet, and yes, messiah. Messiah number five. There it is. Count him up. Yeah, there was even talks about, like, uh, he said that he was told by God that it was his mission to write his interpretation of the book of Revelation. Yeah, everybody needs another version of that yeah, acid trip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, man, instead of like that seven-headed demon with 12 crowns, let's go ahead and make it 13 crowns. <laughs> so was he known by Vernie or Vernon? Like He was known no. by, up until this point, he was Vernon. Really? He was Vernon. He no, was sure. Vernon up until then. And up then until then. When he changed his name legally, then he became David Koresh. Crazy. Huh. So he was Vern. He was Vernie. Interesting. He was, yeah. I'm asking you to change my name. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seriously, I just can't. Again, fucking cult followers are like, so there's this dude, Vernon Howe. 
fucking shreds the guitar. Well, sort of. He's not even that, that good. Um, his songs are about Jesus, you know, which is expected. All of our songs are about one topic, Jesus. Uh, but I'm telling you, there's something magical about this guy. And uh, he's really into guns. And uh, he actually shot our other leader. Yeah. Um, and that guy pushed out. Like a little bitch. So it ought to, has it, sex with all the kids. It's kind of wild. Yeah. He was fucking boning the other Messiah's fucking mom. Mom. Right. <laughs> and like, it just made sense. So I'd like, let him fuck my wife. Cause it's, I'm, I don't know. I just want to know the truth. All I want to know is the truth here. And I think Vernon, the guitar playing fucking perm haired, uh, fucking weirdo is, uh, is, uh, you know, he's, he's the real deal. This He'll is lead it. Us there. God wants him to fuck my wife. Makes sense. It does make sense. You're right. Anyway, so David Koresh, now Koresh, uh, he establishes new revenue streams for the Branch Davidians. Things like baking bread and converting semi-automatic weapons into fully automatic <laughs> weapons and selling them at gun shows. <laughs> well, honestly, a lot more of the gun thing uh, and not so much of the bread thing. A little bit of that, but... In addition to the new revenue streams, Koresh also incorporates some new rules and lifestyle changes for the Branch Davidians. Life in the Branch Davidian's austere two-story wooden dormitory revolved around strict discipline, healthy eating, physical labor, and rigorous study of the Bible. What's more, Koresh preaches the New Light, a self-styled gospel that requires him to take multiple wives so that he could father enough children to sit on the 24 heavenly thrones described in the book of Revelation. Again, he wants the, I want 48 now. 24 thrones? I want 48. 24, that's the story. That's how it reads. The book of Revelations is a fucking legitimate acid trip. It is absurd. It is so absurd. And for some reason, all of these evangelicals and fucking weirdos on to glom it. onto that shit. 100%. They, they ignore all the shit. It was like, hey, man, be cool and, like, you know, help people out. They're like, fuck no. Demons, seven headed dragons, 24 thrones, dude. Fuck kids. What happened to honor thy neighbor's wife? Well. <laughs> <laughs> God can change the rules. So, and that was another thing, uh, when you get back to Kathy Schroeder, she was talking about how, like, she used to, you know, stay up in those late night gospel sessions, like, hoping she would get picked to, you know, go be with David at the end of the night. And she talked about how, like, one night she got picked, and she was so excited. And she went up to the room with David, and she was like, and he was preaching gospel, like, the whole time. Yeah. But it wasn't him having sex with me. That was my time with the Lord. And he was like quoting gospel while also like having like showing me the Lord bending you over. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. God's really into froggy, froggy. (laughs) Yeah, you ever heard reverse cowgirl? (laughs) Yeah. So there's another one. It's called Amazon style. (laughs) It's like you fucking me. You know what I'm saying? Like you're gonna fuck the Lord. So let's just check it out. Let me pull up my. Let me pull up my. My godly porn hub here. <laughs> so, so porn scripture. Yahweh uh, wants you to to do this. Yahweh, <laughs> my way. Yeah, right. I wanted Yahweh. It's just insane. I just, I again, man, fuck. I, I they're insane. I they're don't insane. understand it. I don't understand it. There was even the talk about like uh, Heather Jones's parents. David came up to them and was like, "Look, I'm gonna start." banging your wife and there's you know like you need to stop banging her it's it's part of you know the religion and the wife was like i'm not down with this shit i'm out of here and she actually bolted left her kids there oh wow the dad your kids with you lady she left her kids there which was absolutely insane because they're next on the fucking chopping block that's exactly right she left her basically there's a sacrificial lamb at the end of the day and 
David at that point separated her from the father. She wasn't allowed to have contact with the dad. And he, she was like, basically, David was my mother and father at yeah. that point. Oh, man. And it's, it's, it's the, so it bad. is crazy. Every how, fucking cult ends up this way. Right. Every yeah. cult involves, like, getting people, separating the husbands from their wives and fucking all the wives. Then if you take the extra step of fucking their kids, then you're getting this. But it's always the same shit. It's the separation. Children of God. Yeah. All that shit. It's, I just... If I, I'm sure none of our listeners are in a cult, but if you are, get the fuck out of it because you're getting fucked next. And it's crazy because then he would use these kids as like leverage in the like in the whole Waco Waco like uh, standoff standoff. He was oh, like yeah, making videos of these kids being like, what do you think's really going on? Don't you know? Tell me what goes on in here. And they're always like, we love you, David. You're the you're yeah. God. You're the best. And, you know, we're not afraid of anything out there. That's right. It's absolutely insane. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's real icky shit here, dude. But it's not, like, surprising at all considering his history. And Koresh is uh, also doing, like, the typical cult leader thing. And like I said, we were talking about separating couples, fucking the wives while the male congregates tacitly approve and sacerbate themselves to sleep. Yeah. That one dad was like, hey, man, if this is the way that I'm supposed to find out about the Lord and, like, mm-hmm. find my new coming, like. I'm all for it. Yeah. Like, well, then, there's only one person coming. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Man, so I guess you're just kind of left to be alone after that. You're just in the thing as a laborer. Yeah, yeah you're, in, you're 100%. You're in fap camp. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a real shit show, dude. The trouble, though, for Koresh is that it's not super easy to create a revenue stream by manufacturing automatic weapons and explosives at scale but like for long before catching the attention of the, the authorities, which is... Big spoiler alert here, exactly <laughs> what happens. Yep. In the summer of 1992, the group caught the attention of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms after a UPS driver reported delivering a package of dummy grenades to Mount Carmel. Yeah, the package came open on delivery yeah. and a grenade fell out. Yep. Oh, man. Koresh and the other Davidians who, as I mentioned earlier, had been earning income for the group by working at weekend gun shows, had built up an arsenal as well as inventories of MREs, gas masks, and paramilitary gear that they called David Koresh survival wear. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Man. It's like instead of Calvin Klein's, what's in your Calvin's? What's in your David's? He's like, I don't know, at least seven shotgun shells, an MRE. I don't know, Some one of these astronaut ice cream. <laughs> Yeah, these guys were like way ahead of the curve, I guess. Now with all the dorks dressing up in tactical gear and parading around Target and Subway with their <laughs> AR-15s and whatnot. They were ahead of the curve. Yeah, I'm telling you, these guys would fit right in these days. Yeah. He was a little ahead of his time. An ATF investigation confirmed that the group was actively converting semi-automatics into automatics and arming live grenades. But the situation is a bit more complicated, honestly. Because the ATF, at this point, was due for a congressional budget review in the spring of 1993. So they devised an elaborate plan to raid Mount Carmel that the ATF brass hoped would net not only the sex illegal weapons, but some positive publicity as well. Yeah, 100%. The operation was titled Operation Trojan Horse. And the biggest mistake, in hindsight was that rather than simply bringing Koresh in for questioning, the ATF uh, like trained its agents at Fort Hood to take the building by force. The raid quickly went bad, resulting in the deaths of four ATF agents and six Branch Davidians. Koresh himself was also shot. And this action would ultimately coincide with the narrative that Koresh had been pushing all along, that they were the chosen people, Koresh was their Messiah, and that just like Christ... 
The evil state would throw all of their power around to stop the good, godly people. You know how this all unfolded? It was a reporter that was trying to get to the Mount Carmel. Okay. Um, he uh, they had, he had gotten the call that morning, yeah. and it was like, hey, some shit's going down. We want some press there. ATF yeah. was trying to push their narrative, like, you know, like, hey, we're trying to get a W here. Yeah. The reporter got lost on the way to Mount Carmel and stopped a post office guy. <laughs> Who happened to be a Branch Davidian. Who happened to be a Branch Davidian. So he was like, hey, do you know where Mount Carmel is? He's like, uh, yeah, it's right around here. Why are you looking? He was like, better well, the about- fuck out of this place, boy. He was like, yeah, it's right around this way. Gave him a little bit of like misdirection. And he went back and was like, David, they're coming. Yeah. Oh my God. And that is what st- that's how they had advance notice. And that's what started all of this. No David, shit. they're coming just like you did with my wife last night. <laughs> over and over and over again. I had to listen and hear it. Hey, oh, so often I had to hear you come with my wife. I just, but it's okay. You're it's the all right. So it's it all really right. kind of started as a shootout and then it turned into just. A stalemate, and then they smoked them out pretty much. Because they were like they were under the fucking teeth. It created a perfect storm. Mistakes made all around. Koresh is an apocalyptic nut with a rabid following that are armed to the teeth, and the ATF is tone deaf and trying to score some political points for budget considerations. But had Koresh not decided that it was like apocalypse time and time to whip out those machine guns and fight a battle that so obviously could not be won. None of this happens. Right. Yeah, they had an inside guy inside Mount Carmel, and they were talking about how he was changing semi-automatics into fully automatics. Mm-hmm. He had 50 caliber weapons. He had a stockpile of all this stuff that was, I mean, just completely illegal. Yeah, military grade. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They were even talking about they had to eventually send in, like, uh, Bradley armored fighting vehicles, and they had to worry because they had 50 calibers. Yeah. That could penetrate that would, that could penetrate them. Yeah. That, wow. And that's what they were nervous about. So, yeah. and they actually brought in the next step up later on down that you know and it was just like insane like these are tanks that are supposed to be on the front lines that were here deployed on u.s soil yeah yeah. plainly stated david koresh has delusions of grandeur a martyr complex and a fucking death wish that's just a fact so when all of the fighting started um it's it's unclear at the end of the day who started shooting atf says it was david and the davidians david and them say it was the atf and there's no real telling at the end of the day but he was shot in the process, and this actually ties back into where he was shot in the hand, he was shot in the side. Okay. At the time, he was 33 years old. Oh, my God. So there's all these parallels to Jesus at the end of the day, and that's what he's selling to oh, yeah. uh, everybody on the inside. He's like, look, you know, like, there's so many parallels. He fucking rolled sevens, baby. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Said, oh, yeah. He said hand, side. He's yeah. like, I'm, I'm 33. 33. Like, yeah, <laughs> I no. Looks sort of like Jesus, but you know, I had to shave my face because it's the early 90s and nobody's <laughs> rocking beards. I was on trial for attempted murder with the original guy. Totally got off on that. Like, there's nothing that can stop me from this, you know, second coming. Yeah. Like I said, look, I'm honestly not going to spend a lot of time on the actual siege because there's been so much media created about it already, and I've seen a lot of it including the absolutely bonker series American Tragedies Waco with John Leguizamo and Taylor Kitsch, like <laughs> like Buddy uh, referred to earlier, that somehow, somehow managed to portray David Koresh as a just a misunderstood dude that was spiritual and just wanted to, you know, like fucking rock out. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's absolutely insane when I you was, look at the like actualities of I it. I watched it and I was just so like, I was like, it, did I not? 
fully understand did I mi- yeah did i miss everything i was yeah. like who greenlit this thing this is fuck they made david koresh look chill yeah this he was like weird. he uh, we're having a wedding i'm a jam he's like on his little fucking les paul like, <laughs> and john like was almost like really conflicted he's like oh no man it's kind of a cool guy i don't know if we want to do this i was like what the fuck he was fucking 12 year olds man yeah this is usually where blockbuster buddy comes and it's like what are you talking about he, like yeah. he was a good guy yeah but no, no. I, I mean he was a he's a horrible dude and on top of that like I said, I don't care. That's what I'm getting back to is like first principles of this whole thing. Like, did the ATF fuck up with this? Yes. Yes. 100%. They did. They should have just pulled him. But, but everything happens when he decides that it's going to be the apocalypse and he yeah. wants them to start shooting. And it's time to go. And I don't, I do, I do not believe for a second that the ATF rolled in there shooting. I think nah. a shot was fired first and then it just sort of expanded. It exploded at that point. Yeah. yeah and it could for me, I could see it going either way. I don't think that there's fault anywhere there. Like it, it could have gone either way, but the way that everything was handled from that point on, there was tons of points where ATF wasn't in communications with FBI. Mm-hmm. FBI wasn't in communications with ATF. Yeah. And like FBI was doing a lot of the hostage negotiation tactics yeah. and they would like kind of like agree on something. And then ATF would be like, fuck this shit. We're going to roll in on tanks and fuck them. We're not no. going to give them anything. It's, it's all true. I, like I said, I just, there's always been so much controversy to this. I just always want to take it back to the point. He could have avoided all this. He could have avoided 100%. it. And he also yeah. charged everybody up like this. So they were ready like, and they wanted this to happen. Right. Like it goes they, back to the prophecy. Yes. You know what I mean? And he saw in that moment where he could have ended it in a sense and just came out and talked to everybody. But he also saw like, this is my hill that I'm going to die. Oh, on. yeah. And he absolutely did. And he weaponized that. He absolutely did. That's and what I'm saying. Like, you, you know, can, you can get mad at the ATF all you want, the FBI. But the truth of the matter is they they were primed to do this. And they were primed by him. And also there was even a point where they could have made this work and they could have let him go. And he also he, he, he was like, the Lord has told me to wait. Yeah, like he had promised him that he was coming out, and then he was like, nah, I'm not uh, going to do it. I actually, actually, this is my moment here. Yep. The Lord is telling me, yep. uh, you know, just on a, a flip of a dime, yep. the Lord is telling me that I need to get, it originally started off with him being like, if you let me get my message out to everybody, if you play my message on the Dallas radio, I'll start letting people out. And he did. He started letting people out. And when he was supposed to let everybody else out, he was like, Nah, I need some national coverage to really get my message, like my main yeah, message right. out. And I need to write it. It's going to take me a little bit of time. And he just kept on dragging it out and dragging it well, out. Well, and what a lot of people don't talk about, too, is that he also asked the FBI to put out his demo tape. And they were like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> just check my SoundCloud link. Yeah, right. it's, uh, like I said, uh, like, to cover all the details of the raid in depth would require like additional hours and wouldn't like uh, really be about Crush's asshole nature. To be honest, his life of being an asshole is what brings all of this to a head anyways, which is what I was just talking about. If you want to learn all about it, I would sincerely recommend like the new Netflix series, Waco. It's fantastic. It covers it in depth, like every nitty gritty detail. It's very good. It is much better than that shit with John Leguizamo. (laughs) I I just, I still, to this day, that shit makes me mad. But suffice it to say, like after the initial shootout and weeks of negotiations, nobody's willing to budge. And when the ATF decides that they're going to force an ending, it sets the table for a disaster. After 51 days of negotiations, on April 19, 1993, the FBI launched a tear gas attack in an attempt to force the Branch Davidians out of the compound's buildings. 
Shortly thereafter, the Mount Carmel Center becomes engulfed in flames. The fire and the reaction to the final attack within the group resulted in the deaths of 76 Branch Davidians, including 25 children, two pregnant women, and of course, David Koresh. In total, the 51-day siege resulted in the deaths of four federal agents and 82 Branch Davidians, 28 of whom were children. Wow. You know, and they talk about that. You know, tear gas has been mentioned a couple of times in this show before, and that actually, you know, is known to start fires and stuff like that. But what's interesting about this, and they go into this on the Waco episode or in the Waco show, fire started at like three separate spots in that compound, like all of a sudden. And they do. I don't know if, you know, we live in today. I don't know if this is AI generated or not, but they had voices of David Koresh being like, we need more hay in these areas. Like I, I threw gasoline all over everywhere. So it was like make maybe like this was his final stand. I can't see a Netflix series that doing AI generated shit to fucking I don't, to, to, like to destroy the, the, the like right. all the work they've done to just because it was such For, a good series. It was, it was such it, a good series, you know, but it is kind of weird that they actually have David's voice saying like, hey, I mean, they were recording. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's on there, but like it did seem like this was. At the very end, where everything went up in flames, they love to blame this on the ATF and the FBI. But I'm not 100% convinced that it wasn't David. That's him and his main circle. I, I fully believe he did start they it. That the they fires, started the yeah. fires. Because the they, they, it, that's the thing. It's not that insane. To, he knows when they're sending those tanks in there, it's over. It's well, over at that when point. They start knocking they also, the building down. Yes. Yeah. But they also know that if any of them get taken, that they're just going to jail for the rest of their lives and yeah. they're never going to be seen again. There's nothing that like their story yeah. ends right there or it can end the way that we write yeah, it right, right. now. Yeah. We'll never really know the, 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 the truth of it, but everything I know, I think they started those fires. Yeah, I think they too. started those yeah. fires 100 percent. But beyond that, like the Waco siege would later be cited by Timothy McVeigh in his justification for the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995, which resulted in 168 deaths. Side note, Timothy McVeigh was actually there in Waco mm-hmm. and he was... um. He was sitting on his car, on the hood of his car, selling anti-government bumper stickers. Yeah, like or, literally during Waco. in Waco. Oh yeah, totally. wow. So it's prime for it, right? And oh. then on the flip side, the Oklahoma City bombings happened on April nineteenth, nineteen ninety-five. Two years to the date that the Waco no exactly building right. burned down. Oh, wow. Exactly right. Even to add a little bit more <laughs> to it, Bob Ricks, who was the FBI's main spokesman for Waco was also the FBI special agent in charge of the Oklahoma City office. Huh. So basically they're saying that Timothy McVeigh was doing this as a big fuck you yeah. for Waco. Oh, yeah. wow. It's totally true. Yeah. It's become like a rallying cry for all these fucking nut jobs that are just like, we're talking government no matter what, you know? They're like fucking middle schoolers that are <laughs> trying to... Anyways, let's do the math here. 254 people died directly or indirectly because David Koresh wanted to have multiple wives, some yeah. of them underage. Yeah. What a fucking loser. Yeah. 100%. Final scores, boys. All right. So, I mean, I kind of alluded to it early on. I knew a lot of the dirt. I didn't know the depth of the um, underage sex with the girls. I knew it was yeah. there, but I didn't know it was like all the 12-year-olds must report to me. I think Almost he, all. No, he handpicked any of the 12-year-olds he wanted. Yeah. Which there was like... It was like all of them. Uh, there was tons <laughs> yeah, of them there. Exactly. There, and there was even like, they were talking about how the girls would talk when they were 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And they were like, 
David's going to choose me to be his wife. Yeah. No, he's going to yeah. choose me to be his wife. Well, it's just, I mean, like, you got to kind of look through the, the tea leaves. If you've got a choice to make between two leaders and they're in the fucking backyard shooting at each other, um, you know, I, I you probably have to reevaluate life choices. I'll choose the one that's the not point. fucking my daughter as well. <laughs> yeah. The cowboy hat and the guy, the cigarette. Yeah, yeah. And, man, just a rough story all the way around. You know, it's it's. It's just kind of fucked up how guys can kind of take advantage of the week and prey on them. And I know and this, it paints a very similar tale to Jim yep. Jones and Jonestown, right? It's a blueprint. Yeah, you yeah, see 100%. You separate We've talked people about this, from their family. We've talked about this multiple times. Yep. There's a blueprint to being a cult leader. Yep, absolutely right. So, honestly, on a scale of assholes, I'm going to put him a tick above Jim Jones. So, Jim Jones is at a 933. I'm putting David Koresh at a 939. Okay. 9.39 final score. 9.39 for Randy. Buddy, what do you have on your uh, final score, which should uh, be significantly higher than, than your, your pre-show? 100%. Because, I mean, pre-show, I didn't know about him basically taking all the 12-year-olds that he wanted, everybody's wife that he wanted, doing it, basically saying that I am the I'm God and just come up to my bedroom and this is how you get to be one with God. That's absolutely insane. I absolutely believe that he started all those fires at the end to make it look like just to tarnish the ATF and the FBI at the end of the day. I'm not saying that the ATF and FBI are innocent by any stretch oh, yeah, of the imagination. Not. And you start to get into, you know, I don't it's even, not, it's I not don't a, even throw, it's not a, throw innocent and, and guilty in it. Like, no, it's, it's, it's definitely not a both sides. Like, well, both sides are equally bad. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 they're not. No, no. They're not. No, they and, fucked up on a like procedural thing. Right. Yeah. On a magnitude of levels. Yeah. You know, I mean, like they start to get into like sleep deprivation torture that they did on everybody there. And that is just like ca absolutely counterintuitive when you're actually using negotiation tactics that mm -hmm. are working. So um, and then you look at. He basically tried to take all the Branch Davidians, uh, like he tried to take the, the lead role by force. He yeah. literally tried to kill the lady's son yep. where he was fucking his mom mm -hmm. and like was like, I'm going to take power because you're the only other one that can contest me at this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, well, basically got a hung jury at the end of the day, but literally attempted murder, got a, a free walk on it. Uh, it's fucking 12 year olds, fucking everybody. Uh, yeah, no, this dude is crazy. Uh, you know, I'm with Randy in here. I believe that he is a tick above Jim Jones. Uh, he's not quite Pablo Escobar, but um, I'm going to put him up. Yeah, just in between the two of them. So, yeah, final asshole score for Buddy ends up at a 9.42. All right, 9.42 for Buddy. Mikey, hugely. Yes, uh, I like the Jim, jo uh, Jim Jones. I love the, <laughs> the, the Jim Jones parallels you guys have. And it makes obvious sense, of course. They're the biggest American fuck faces that are uh, yeah. cult leaders. Yeah, and Jones had a lot more bodies on him. But Jones, yeah, yeah, way more. Yeah. Like nine hundred. Yeah. yeah, over nine hundred. Jones had a lot more bodies. Uh, Koresh was a little grosser with the kids. I yep. don't think Jim Jones fucked kids. No. Yeah, I don't think. I think he raped some of his. Uh, he definitely was followers. fucking wives. Yeah, yeah but I don't that think was it was happening. children. No, I don't think it was any children. So I'm gonna go ahead and uh, sort of. Even that out. I'm going to give him the same score. I'm going to keep my score of 9.33. All right. And um, I also just, it's just such a strange story in general. Like everything's so weird about this. I just can't put myself in that mindset. And I just constantly think about these chicks that are getting fucked by God and like, how are they rating that? Well, how is the sex? Yeah, I wonder. Good? It's got to yeah. be a 10 out of 10. No. Thunderclap, you know? Yeah. 
<laughs> Randy's just shaking his head. He's like, Mm-mm, this is not. Nope. Don't do this, Mike. Don't do this, Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the same time that Timothy McVeigh was out there selling anti-government bumper stickers, there were people out there selling hats that said, uh, hey, weird assholes come out. Like, yeah. Waco. Yeah. Oh, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, that's the, the stage for everything going on now. In fact, you know, we put McVeigh's numbers on there, but there's so many like militia men, psychopaths, yep. like far like that base their bullshit yeah. off of and this. They, and yep. they always point back to, to that and to Ruby Ridge. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, that's my score. I'm going to keep him at the 9.33. All right. 9.33 for Mikey. All right. With a 9.39 from Randy, a 9.42 from Buddy, and a 9.33 from Mikey, David Koresh's final asshole score is a 9.38. 9.38, quite fitting territory, slightly below Pablo Escobar at 9.49, and just above Jim Jones and Rodrigo Duterte at 9.33. Both of those uh, assholes clocked in at. So. Yeah, Rodrigo Duterte, man, that was an episode. High up there. Jesus. For sure. Motorcycles and machine guns. That's Helicopters. Right. And, That's right. Yeah. Crazy shit. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. As always, go check us out on patreon.com slash AHC podcast. Again, stickers and swag go out to the Patreon members within the fart circle. You know who you are. Big ups and big support. Pat on the back to all of you. Uh, Much appreciated. We're also going to have a couple polls coming up here in the next week or so or two, um, you know, trying to help us kind of give us a little guidance on what we should be doing up here in the future. So if you want to get in on those polls, sign up on Patreon. You'll be able to get in on the action like all of our Patreon followers. And if you want to uh, join the cast of From the Inbox, give us a shout out on social media. Uh, Any kind of interactions that we enjoy, good posts. Uh, good scores, good ratings, all that good shit. We love to hear from you. It better be positive, and the only way we'll say it if it's negative is if it's really fucking funny. That's right. <laughs> so you want to throw some you negative what? shit out there? It better be real good. <laughs> Wizard seventy. Wizard, Wizard 70. seventy shit was weak too. I'm honestly, I mean, Wizard seventy's a bitch. That's right. <laughs> and we'll leave you that. Be kind to one another. We'll see you next time on Asshole Court. <laughs>